Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On today's podcast, we are talking about asexuality, what an asexual relationship could look like, and getting a lot of language for better understanding the spectrum of sexuality and sexual orientation. Did you know that 87% of teenage girls received a say no to sex type of sex education? Unfortunately, most of us did not receive a quality sex education. And that is why I created the sex ed you wish you had, which is a comprehensive adult sex education. 73% of women are still confused about what a vulva is, according to HuffPost. And I find that so many women don't know proper genital terminology. They don't know the basics of their hormones, the different birth control options, or even lubricants, toys, and other pleasure-enhancing products that are available. And that is why I created this comprehensive sex ed to help all women get the basics of their sexual health and understand their bodies more. After the sex ed you wish you had, you are going to feel empowered as a sexual being and feel knowledgeable about how your body works. If you're listening to this and you are thinking about how you really wish you had more information about sex and sexual health, then this is for you. This is a self-paced program to help you understand your body more. This is for you if you received an abstinence-based, shame-based sex ed or just no sex ed at all. You desire to understand the basics about your body and sex, and you want to feel confident as a sexual being, or you are wanting to start your sexual exploration journey. I can't wait to see you in the sex ed you wish you had. If you'd like to learn more, go to jordandanelle.com backslash sex ed. Can't wait to see you there. Joining me today is Aubrey Lancaster, who is a sex educator of 17 years, sharing adult products and educating on the mechanics of arousal. As a gray romantic asexual, Aubrey has lived experience and a connection to the asexual and aromantic communities that provides a unique perspective on the issues facing the challenging landscape of sexuality and orientation. All right. Well, I'm so excited to have you chat with me today, Aubrey, about asexuality. I think this is a topic that so many people may have heard of or maybe not. My first exposure to the term asexuality was actually when I was in PA school and somebody had just mentioned like asexuality in conversation and I really didn't know what that meant. So I'm really excited to have you share more about that here today. Do you want to just maybe start by telling us what is asexuality? Sure. So there are definitely several different definitions. One of the most common ones right now is to talk about it as a sexual orientation where the person experiences little to no sexual attraction to other people. Uh, It is also an identity term, which is broader and more inclusive and also includes people that may experience some form of sexual attraction, but may not wish to act on it. 
Mm, I love that you brought up like orientation, sexual identity. Can you define that for me? Because I think that, again, that's one of those terminologies that if you maybe are in that community or in that space, you understand what it means. But if you're not sure, you're not in that space, you may not know. Absolutely. So much of my work dives into that as well. Uh, With sexual orientation, the way we conceptualize that currently in Western culture focuses on the attraction to another person, primarily with a gendered look at the gender orientation. But that attraction is expected to be kind of this collection of sexual, romantic, emotional, all built into one. And the truth is, these are different kinds of attractions for some people. And for asexual people, asexual people may experience romantic attraction and not sexual attraction, just as aromantic people may experience sexual attraction and not romantic attraction. And then that emotional element kind of comes into play And just as we may have strong emotional ties to our friends, we are now within our culture expected to also have these strong emotional bonds with partners, which of course wasn't always the case within partnered relationships. So when we talk about sexual orientation, yet there's all these things that come into play. So we're kind of talking about that sexual attraction, romantic attraction, emotional attraction, and partnering elements, as well as what gender that might be. But we never stop and go, what if you're not attracted to anyone? What if it's not the gender as what's creating this disconnect between this heteronormative expectation and one's experience but the lack of sexual attraction or the lack of romantic attraction. And lack is such a terrible word too, because it implies that we are set within this negative space where we are necessarily defined by what we don't experience. When the truth is, we just center all the other beautiful ways to experience life and relationships and decenter the sexual or romantic elements. So if somebody is asexual, they may not desire partnered sex, but do they desire other forms of sex, like self-sex, for example? So again, we have to kind of talk about some of the definitions here. Libido. Really broad, simple explanation. Libido is the body asking for an orgasm. (laughs) Sexual attraction gives the libido directionality. That asks, who do you want to experience this libido with? And if there is no directionality, for some people, they just ignore it. Other people want to satisfy it through solo engagement. And there are people who are non-libidoists who don't experience any urge for an orgasm. Asexual people may be more likely to engage with their libido through solo play, but they don't necessarily exclude interpersonal interactions. Ooh, tell me more about that. So, you know, when I think of asexuality, I think of no partnered interrelational activities. But what you're saying is that sometimes that may be the case. Yeah. So sexual attraction is a mechanism of arousal, but it's not the only mechanism of arousal. 
There is many ways that we can access sexual arousal in our bodies that don't require that sexual attraction. Now, obviously, if you are looking to do that with a person you're not sexually attracted to, <laughs> you may be less inclined to do that simply because, you know, why would you want to have sex with somebody you're not sexually attracted to? But if you're romantically attracted to them, or you are simply negotiating a consensual sexual experience with another person, there are options available. But this this is not where the asexual community necessarily focuses. There is such a broad range within the community that that's why we kind of keep coming back to the idea of sexual attraction. Because if we're trying to define asexuality through desire or behavior, we get a lot of conflicting messaging here. When we talk about that intrinsic experience of sexual attraction, then we can talk about how that affects all the behavior that we might engage in. Mm, yes. Okay. So I know like on your own journey, you are somebody who identifies as asexual. Are yes. you open to sharing more about like how you got to this and like how you determined <laughs> I don't even know how to word this, right? Where it's like politically correct, I guess you could say. Like, <laughs> how do you find this out for yourself? You know, when when we look at all of the elements of sex, I kind of like to look at these things kind of as a big ball of twine. You know, it, it feels like everything is all part of one thing. But when you start pulling threads, you can start to see what elements there are. So I experience romantic attraction. And I get butterflies in my stomach and I've experienced, you know, the euphoria of falling in love and having somebody love me in return and that deep need for that emotional and, and romantic connection. And it can make accessing sexual arousal more a little easier, especially in the initial, you know, few years of a relationship when you have a lot more hormones flying around. But the other elements of sex like desire and libido and all of those things, those can be very fluid throughout one's life. And so I, I learned as a sex educator over 16 years, all these different hacks, all these ways to access arousal within my body. And I always kind of felt like a fraud in some ways that I, I still never felt that I was wanting to or engaging with all the things that I'd learned in the way that other people seem to be. Like I, I felt like I could help people to learn more about clitoral stimulation and uh, lubrication and all of these things that can help make sex more pleasurable. But the, the reasons behind it, that sexual attraction wasn't there. I, it wasn't until I understood the differentiation of attractions, that it's not just sexual attraction, but there's romantic attraction and emotional attraction and intellectual attraction and sensual attraction and aesthetic attraction and all of these other elements. I kind of kept pulling out these twines, you know, all of these threads until I finally went, wait a minute. No, no, I don't think I've ever experienced sexual attraction. Why is nobody talking about this? <laughs> And so that that was a huge part of my journey was just learning all of these ways to help people as a sexuality educator and finally pulling out enough threads and learning about enough things to discover that this was never part of my experience. And there are millions of people that 
are also asexual and don't experience sexual attraction or very rarely or under only under certain circumstances. Mm, I love how like as sexuality educators, as people in this space, I feel like each of us are learning and discovering on our way or like on our own journey. And then it leads us kind of to where we are, where we are able to share about our experiences and relate to others and allow them that safe space to explore what may or may not be for them. And so I love that your own educator journey took you through that and helped you explore yourself. Absolutely. So you had also kind of mentioned something about like a spectrum and a spectrum of asexuality, a spectrum of sexuality, a spectrum of sexual orientation, a spectrum of all of these things. I would love to talk more about like how it's not this or this. It ranges and it varies. Can you kind of elaborate more on that for me? Yeah, there's a bunch of different ranges that come into play. And one of the things I like to mention as far as these spectrums go is this is the language that is coming out of these communities. This is intrinsic language, things that people have come up with to help describe internal experiences so that we can actually have conversations about those internal experiences and not just behavior. So the experience of sexual attraction, what is sexual attraction? You know, that in and of itself is a question that certainly an asexual person is not necessarily the best one to answer. (laughs) But at the same time, it's what we have to understand in some form to know that we're not experiencing it. So for some people, sexual attraction is, you know, just finding somebody sexually appealing, where for somebody else, it's like this really intense urge to just drop their clothes and have sex with that person right then and there. So even understanding what that means is its own spectrum. But when we're talking about spectrums, think of a spectrum of colors. When we had limited language for colors, we literally have the limited ability to see colors in a spectrum. The more words we have for colors, the more we can literally see them. Like if you know the colors teal and turquoise, you can literally see them in your head and differentiate between them. If you are unfamiliar with those colors, you're going to have a lot more trouble understanding and visualizing what that is. So all of these labels and tools of the asexual community are about creating, identifying these positionalities within these spectrums. So they're just tools. They're tools to help us communicate our needs and boundaries and to find community. So when you have this idea of sexual attraction and you have people that recognize that they don't experience it in what is a socially normative way, which of course is always built on these dominant narratives regardless, coming, you know, in these concepts that are based in white cis heteropatriarchal expectations. So we have to then express in some way that we either don't experience this and are asexual, which is also an umbrella term, or maybe we're in the gray sexual range and experience it rarely or to a lesser degree or only under certain circumstances. Demisexual is one of those only under certain circumstances where the person needs an emotional connection in order to access sexual attraction. And then we move into discussing all the relations that we have to uh, the favorability of having sex. Somebody can be sex favorable. 
sex indifferent, sex averse, or sex repulsed. And while this may not be directly linked to that sexual attraction, for some people, it's a very important part of how they experience their asexuality. And being able to say that, you know, they are not only asexual, but they are sex favorable, they may want a term like cupiosexual to help them communicate that. Or if they want to express that they enjoy giving sexual favors, but not receiving them, they may prefer the term plasiosexual, or that they like to receive sexual favors, but they really don't want to give them. And that's, you know, they, they don't experience any sort of pleasure or drive to give. That would be I am vonosexual. And it can get a little confusing when you're first starting to learn all of these terms. It could be a little overwhelming. But again, we just have to remember these are tools. And the more we understand these tools, the more we understand our own positionality within the spectrums of sexuality in general. Yeah. And I think that it's so complex. You know, it's not just we are this or we are this. Like it is very complex. And, you know, you're giving a lot of terms that I've never heard before. And I'm in the sex positive space. And so I know that probably majority of my listeners have probably never heard these words either. And I think that that's a really good opportunity for education and learning. And something I've talked about on the podcast before, and I've mentioned with my friends especially, is even though like maybe I don't understand, I don't necessarily need to understand everything to be open or to be able to, I don't want to use the word able to accept, but that's kind of like the first thing that's coming to mind in that <laughs> I don't, I don't have to understand it. Right. For somebody else to have that lived experience. That's where I really find the value in treating them as tools, because there is never a single use for a tool, first of all. And some tools may be very popular, and you see them all the time. And others are very rarely used. But ultimately, it's about leaning in with curiosity and finding out how this tool is useful for the person that you are talking to, and how you can be supportive of that. Yes, I love curiosity. I actually wrote that down recently in in like my journaling in that coming from a place of curiosity is always the best place to come from. And curiosity even within yourself. Like, okay, so I acted this way. Yeah. Why? Like being curious of your own behaviors, your own patterns, your own things can be so helpful and informational. Absolutely. The other thing that you had kind of mentioned that I wanted to talk about is language. And recently I was talking with a partner of mine that my vocabulary feels very limited. I have a master's degree, you know, I've got I've got an educational like background, right? But I don't have a lot of words or an extensive set of words to describe a lot of things, which makes communication really hard. And so I think that in a space like this, like understanding the language, being familiar with these tools can be so beneficial. Yeah, so much of the language that we have been taught is focused on external observation of behavior. And we are really starting to see a lot more come out of the sexuality field and from queer spaces and neurodivergent spaces about how to discuss our internal intrinsic experiences in a way that we can have common language to compare and contrast. 
And to also recognize that that language is never going to mean exactly the same thing for each of us. It is always in the context of our other experiences. Yeah. And I think, again, coming back to the curiosity, because our languages may not be the same, asking questions to understand where somebody else is coming from, from a place of curiosity can be so beneficial or so useful because we just don't, we all have different experiences. So the same thing can mean totally different things to each of us. Yeah. There, there's beauty in that and confusion in that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. A lot of confusion. And I found that like, even with business and, you know, marketing, there's a lot of confusion because we just don't use the same words to describe the same experiences. Yeah. And so much of this language is, is still in development, but it really is one of the beautiful things that the internet has given us is this ability to have these conversations with our peers rather than everything having to be filtered through, you know, academics or doctors or media, we can talk to each other and and describe our experiences and find language that works for all of us, or for at least several people so that they can continue to use that language. And other people may find different language that is just a little bit more on point for them. Yeah. And being open to it, you know, and understanding that like all of our language is different. So when I was reading your bio, you know, at the end, it had kind of mentioned that you were married. And when I first, you know, was putting this podcast together and kind of thinking about, okay, what are we going to talk about? Like, I know I want to talk about asexuality, but the first thing that came to my mind is that, oh, asexual people wouldn't have relationships because they're not interested in sex. And so I would love for you to share more about this and explain, you know, you mentioned that you can have non-intimate relationships. And I think that we experience that in, in a lot of our lives where you have romantic relationships where there isn't interpersonal sex. You know, you can have really intense platonic relationships or when you look at the polyamorous lifestyle, you can have some relationships where it's no interpersonal sex and some where there is. And so I'd love for you to maybe like, I want to use the word bust the myth, but like explain to us more about how that works. So yeah, you know, intimacy has gotten really conflated with sex. Uh, I think part of that is also because social media makes it so difficult to say the word sex. So people are trying to find alternatives. But unfortunately, when we use intimacy as a stand-in for the concept of sex, we lose the value of using intimacy to also describe all of the ways that we can connect non-sexually and non-romantically. You know, all of those differentiated attractions that I talked about can also be different forms of intimacy. You can have emotional intimacy that is non-sexual, non-romantic. You can have intellectual intimacy. You can have aesthetic intimacy and sensual intimacy. Sensual intimacy is really more about skin hunger and the intimacy of physical contact with another person that, again, doesn't have to be sexual or romantic. So when we start to decenter sex as this ultimate idea of the expression of love and connection within a relationship and start to look at all the other ways that we can value the connections we have in our lives, 
we can start to see that while our society seems to put this amato-normative expectation forward, which is a term coined by Elizabeth Brake in her book, Minimizing Marriage, where she talks about, she's a legal scholar, so she's talking about more in legal terms, but the hierarchical prioritization of sexual romantic exclusive relationships in our society. But there are so many other wonderful ways to connect. So you know, my husband and I love watching TV together and having conversations and laughing and sending each other memes and funny things. And, you know, massage can be a very beautiful form of sensual, affectionate intimacy that doesn't require sexual arousal. And I think just understanding what does sex mean in general can be very confusing for some people because, again, there is this assumption that it must mean P and V. And you don't have to have penetration at all to have sexually arousing experiences. So, and we really are talking about asexuality in general, we'll be talking about not is usually going to be in relation to sexually arousing activities, not just P and V. So when we have the space in our relationships to connect over so much more, My husband shows affection sometimes by bringing home new flavors of Oreos or chips or creamer. You know, what, what do you enjoy? What fulfills you? What makes your heart sing when you're spending time with another human that you care about? And all the other ways that we connect with our partners when we're not engaged in sexually arousing or, you know, romance inducing activities. There's so much more to life. There is. And there's so much more to relationships than just sex too. And we have such this focus on sex and especially penetrative sex. You brought up, you know, that there are other forms of intimacy that don't qualify as penetrative sex. But for maybe somebody like myself, I would say that they still kind of fall under that category of sexual intimacy. So like massage, for example, or, you know, like kissing, things like that, that all kind of falls under that foreplay, outer course type category. Somebody who's asexual, is that something that they would maybe engage in or not engage in? Or are we coming back to like, oh, this is a spectrum and that some may, some may not? Well, yes, some may, some may not, absolutely. And also think about that ball of string or twine. Sensual attraction and intimacy can often be interwoven with other forms of intimacy and connection, but can still be experienced without that. So one can cuddle with another person without it being a sexually arousing experience. Or we might, you know, massage doesn't have to be sexually arousing. It can lead to that. And that doesn't mean that asexual people don't engage in sexually arousing activities. But again, we are decentering that as the necessarily the goal of the connection. And perhaps just that massage and cuddling is the most fulfilling thing that that person is looking for. And we, we've treated it as this less than space that unless it goes, quote, further <laughs> and becomes sexually arousing, that it is somehow less than. Why? Why can't that be the most fulfilling 
moment of the evening? Mm, yeah, it's a good question. Like why it's so tricky. Cause I feel like I keep coming back to this space of like, why can't that be enough? And why can't that be the complete experience? And it's coming from such a interrelational sex standpoint. And it's just interesting how like, for me, that's, that's where my mind goes. And, you know, I educate a lot on, it doesn't have to end in penetration, but yet still focusing on, well, we have this sexual menu that includes penetration and kind of stepping back from that and really like, we can just enjoy company. We can enjoy people. We can enjoy things that bring us pleasure. And for some may lead to sex for others may not like, Cuddling for me may lead to sex. Cuddling for you, maybe that's your complete experience. And it's all different for all of us. We we have spent so much time in the sexuality field fighting against the shame and the lack of education and the not understanding our bodies, not understanding anatomy and, you know, just how sexual arousal even works that... It's hard to step back and go, but you know what? Not everybody needs that. That is not the ultimate form of interpersonal connection for everyone. And what does it look like to look at it for the people that are not looking for that? And I think that's where it could be really difficult because we can easily dismiss and say, well, if you're asexual, this isn't for you. But then what does the asexual person have to define their life when society is telling us that we're supposed to want this thing? If we don't want this thing, we must be broken or there must be something wrong with us. Or we can just be ignored because whatever conversation is being had doesn't apply to us. And we need to know what is an affirming and supportive space for asexual and aromantic people to find fulfillment and be supported in that and not just dismissed as this doesn't apply to you. Yes. And I think that comes back to the fact that you cannot understand something and still be accepting and still be open to that conversation and still be supportive. Like you don't have to, well, that's not for me. So hands up or whatever. (laughs) Right. Well, and I think it's also a challenge within the sexuality field because we have so many people that are discovering all of these great ways to build arousal for people to help them to find desire. But that can be a slippery slope when you are telling somebody that they need to want this and that you have these solutions to help them find these things. All of that language is engaged in compulsory sexuality, the assumption that everybody wants and needs sex. So we have to find a way for the conversations to be inclusive of the option to find fulfillment in non-sexual ways. Mm, I love that. I love that. So if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're curious about asexuality and they're like, hmm, I haven't heard this term before, but what you're describing kind of feels right for me, or I want to explore more of what this means and do I identify as asexual? How would you recommend or what would you recommend to a client who's coming to you? Like, I don't really know, but where do I start? 
you start by learning. (laughs) I highly recommend the book Ace by Angela Chen. That is a great resource. Anybody in the sexuality field should absolutely read that book. And anybody questioning whether they're on the asexual spectrum may find uh, information that would be useful in that book. There's also a new book that just came out in September by Sharonda J. Brown called Refusing Compulsory Sexuality, A Black Asexual Lens on Our Sex-Obsessed Culture. And that is a fantastic exploration of the positionality of asexuality within historical contexts, as well as within, you know, white supremacist dominated culture, and how that has affected not only asexual people, but black asexual people, and specifically black asexual femmes. Mm. And that's where they position that. And there's so much great work there. Also, find community. There are asexual communities in all spaces. There's YouTubers. There's TikTokers. There's Instagram. You can find me on Instagram (laughs) at Ace Sex Education. But then there's also Facebook has a ton of different Facebook groups that are basically support groups for whatever position you find yourself within the spectrum. Like there's groups specifically for asexual people who are not sex repulsed, who are looking for sex favorable content. And then there are spaces for those who are sex repulsed or, you know, whatever element, aromanticism, non-aromanticism, where do you find yourself within the spectrum and what kind of support are you looking for? And just find your community. And just like any queer community, we always welcome people that are questioning. Mm -hmm. I think community is such a really, really important thing because community for everyone is important. Finding your people. I Before we hopped on this call, I literally just posted an Instagram reel about community. And, you know, in the last year, it was my birthday over the weekend. So in the last year, like I've really established more of my people and my community and my tribe. And finding those people is so important. Finding people who you connect with, finding people who understand you, who accept you for whomever you are is so important to getting through life. Like life is life is life. And having those people <laughs> by you to support you is so important. Absolutely. So let's say that maybe I have a friend that is on this discovery path or I have like a client maybe listening whose child is potentially unsure. How do you support somebody who is discovering their orientation or identity? I think one of the most important things would be to just listen and give them the space to know themselves. It can be a common misstep to discourage people from using labels in these spaces, especially when, you know, we're talking about these micro labels that might, people may never have heard of, but it is One of my favorite quotes came from a meme somewhere, and I I don't know who the original person that uh, it was, but the idea is there's a huge difference between putting a cat into a box and a cat getting into a box themselves. And there is a huge difference between placing a label on another person, telling another person, this label applies to you, you are this label, and saying, I found this label and it fits me and it makes me feel whole and it makes me joyous and it allows me to communicate my needs and boundaries. When you tell somebody you don't need to label yourself, 
you are telling them that I don't need to understand your positionality within these spectrums. I need to continue to assume that you are this normalized space. And we need to be able to be seen and heard. And of course, labels can change. Because we live in a heteronormative expectation, we are assumed to be heterosexual until we determine otherwise. So if somebody is telling you that they have found this label that that really helps them to communicate who they are, and you tell them you don't, you don't need that, that is going to be very invalidating. So that would be my first thing. <laughs> Embrace the labels, respect the fact that they already know that it can change if it needs to. You don't need to tell them that. And I, I would say to really find out what it is that they need in order to be supported in these spaces and, you know, don't make assumptions about where they are in the spectrum. Mm, I love that. And I think that this applies to all areas. You know, this, it's funny because every time I have a podcast, I feel like it always comes back to like, don't assume communication, ask. (laughs) And that's, that's really the reality of life is that ask, ask, listen, and don't assume anything about anyone and think that that's, that's really good advice. If the listeners take one thing away from today's conversation, what would you want it to be? There are so many more ways to enjoy connecting with the people in your lives and with yourself and your own body. And it is okay to decenter sex or romance from your life and from your relationship. You don't owe anyone sex ever. And that's such a hard thing to really sit with sometimes. But just because you want a relationship doesn't mean you have to give your body to another person. Mm. You know, this brings up another question for me and that when you are looking for relationships as somebody who identifies as asexual, how do you navigate that? Are there, I mean, obviously communication, right? But how do you navigate that? Because I think that, yeah, I'm just curious. So there are millions of people who are asexual, millions. And there are millions more who don't center sex in their needs. So, we have to first recognize that they are out there. (laughs) We're not alone. And you are absolutely allowed to prioritize whatever it is that you are looking for in a relationship. You know, it's, it's difficult when you're already in a relationship and you're coming to these realizations and trying to navigate that with a partner that's already there. But if you're looking for a relationship, you don't need to give up a part of yourself you can be very clear on what it is you are looking for. And there are spaces out there to find people. It, it's it's difficult, but it exists. You know, okay, Cupid is definitely not what it was when I met my husband there 13 years ago. <laughs> but it does at least give people the space to give a lot of information about who they are. And I, I'm an advocate of, you know, being upfront about these things, just in the sense that let them weed themselves out. There's a lot of emotional strain that goes through dating already. 
if you're kind of sitting on information about yourself that you are worried is going to get in the way of this building relationship, I'm an advocate of taking care of that before you even get into the situation where you're caring about them at all. (laughs) Obviously, that's not going to be safe for everybody to be openly queer on any platform. But you deserve to have the relationship that is going to be most fulfilling to you. And you do not need to compromise who you are in order to get that. Mm, Yes, I love that. I love that. That's so wonderful. Where can the listeners find you at? My website is acesexeducation.com and I'm on Instagram at acesexeducation. Beautiful. We will have those in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me and having this conversation and sharing your knowledge with all of us. This has been really amazing. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Intimacy Coaching by Jordan Donnell. Have you ever desired more from your sex life or feel like you're having good sex but curious about how to make it even better? Are you desiring a deeper intimate connection with yourself? Or maybe you are dealing with desire and arousal concerns or struggling with communicating your desires with your partner. If you're hearing this and thinking, hmm, that might be me and you're curious to learn a bit more, let's chat. I would love to talk with you more to see if working with me is a good fit for you. To learn more about intimacy coaching with Jordan Denell, go to coaching.jordandenell.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.